0: All right. And this morning we have Bree Stensrud. Um, Bree and I met um, at a benefit back in May, I believe. And um, we were seated at the same table and uh, we just started talking and um, just have so much, just so many passions and common things that we cared about. And um
1: but then I discovered that Brie actually uh, leads an online community of women um, that's centered around Christlike Welcome, and we're going to learn more about that today. Uh, she has a master's from Dallas Theological Seminary and uh, is just a powerhouse. She um, has been involved in the uh, pro life community for years and years, um, working for Focus on the family, and now she does this uh, Christlike Welcome. So we're going to hear all about that. Um, but first, let's pray.
0: Lord, we come to you today and we thank you for this wonderful group of women sitting here, Lord. I know that all of them give out so much to their families every day, Lord. And I just pray that you would speak to the women here today, to the moms, Lord, that you would show them how much that everything that they do, Lord, all that they put their hands to and their feet to each day, matters, Lord, that it is worship to you, Lord. All those small acts, everything that they do that they commit their lives to, Lord, I pray that you would help them to feel seen today. And God, I just I'm thinking about that scripture in Luke where uh, Mary is just coming at the feet of Jesus and just Hungering after him. And we pray, Lord, that as all of us just yearn to know you and understand you, Lord, that through Bree's talk today, that we would see some of what you want us to see, Lord, that we would see what what true welcome means, Lord, what true hospitality means, what it means to be present with people, what it means to welcome them into our lives, Lord, whether that's people that we know and see every day or or maybe those um, on the fringes, Lord. And so we pray for all of us today, you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you would have us in this message. We pray for Bree, Lord. We just pray that you would give her strength and grace and wisdom, Lord, um, to bring your words to us us. In your name, amen.
1: Let's welcome Bree. I'm so glad, I'm so glad that Sarah remembers how and which, where she met me, because I don't even really remember what I wore yesterday. I don't know if anyone else is like me like that, but that's how my life kind of rolls. I'm like, well, if anyone else can remember what happened yesterday, that's fantastic. Um, and good for you. Um, so this morning, what I want us to do is just start out with a little bit of quiet, reflective time. So if Janelle, if you wouldn't mind starting just some of that. And what I want you to do as we begin is I just want you to close your eyes. And we're just going to take two minutes to kind of contemplate a few things together, okay? And when, one, when words come to your mind, you can jot them down on that worksheet you have but we're gonna use this time to develop some personal context for the conversation we're about to have today. So everyone just kind of breathe and just settle your mind a little bit. I'm sure you've had a hectic morning. But I want you to recall the first time that Jesus was offered to you. Some of you have maybe grown up in a Christian home. Some of you may have struggled to come to a relationship with him over a long period of time. But I want you to try and remember the first time someone offered Jesus to you and you understood what that meant. Who told you about him? Who gifted him to you? And now as you're grown, what is the most meaningful thing about Jesus to you? What does he stir inside you? What are you most grateful for when it comes to who he is and what he's like? What did his offering of welcome save you from? When you think about how God welcomed you, what did that save you from? What did his welcome do for you? And then what journey, what path did it set you on when he welcomed you? Can you take some time to thank him for it? For his incredible pursuit of you, for his unashamed welcome of all of you. Not just a part of you, not just the good things about you, but all of you. Because when you were far away, he saw you and he ran to you. Do you remember that? When you were still in sin, he got close. He got real close. And he imparted righteousness to you gave you a fresh start, took care of your needs. His arms were stretched from one side of the cross to the other in pursuit of your eternal well-being. What radical welcome that is. Lord, we all have our own stories of of your welcome toward us. to remember that your welcome came toward us it got close it got personal sometimes you got uncomfortably close your welcome pursued us your welcome pulled us out of things your welcome pulled us into things your welcome came for us Help us grow this kind of welcome in the places where we've kept you and others at a safe distance. Help us to be brave. Help us to show a watching world your kind of love, your kind of welcome. Because when we do that, nothing is about us, and everything is about you. And you deserve all the glory. give us is the welcome we're supposed to give. We're supposed to be wrung out with your welcome for others because you were wrung out and you're welcome for us. We were far away and you welcomed us. We were in the wrong and you welcomed us. We were alone and you welcomed us. Show up here today, Lord, We need you to reveal more of who you are so that we can be more like you and less like ourselves. I'm just going to trust that you're going to show up, God, because I don't have anything to say. I just have your word, and so I'm going to take you at it, and I hope that we'll all do that together today. So ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm definitely going to need a tissue. I'm like on an emotional uh, morning already. So I promise I'm not going to cry the whole time, but I am a little discombobulated because I'm going to have a mic and I've got like a gazillion scriptures I want to go through. So it's going to look a little awkward and I'm going to apologize up front, but it's going to be it's going to be okay if God decides to show up here. So okay, I had us do this mini reflection this morning because um, I wanted to have those personal thoughts of Christ-like welcome overlay on our hearts this morning. And as we talk about the subject of Christ-like welcome, and I have to warn you, this word welcome has been changing my life this last year. And I'm going to reassure you right now, this is not going to be a talk today about how to best uh, love that sister-in-law that you don't like very much and invite her over. And no, that's not what we're talking about today (laughs) or whoever else you have on your mind. Which is great for me, honestly, because it takes all the pressure off me to come up with something catchy and compelling. And it really puts all the pressure on God to do simply what he says in Hebrews 4. Um, and if Janelle, if you could put that up there for me, babe. Oh, sorry, next one, there we go. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of our heart. I don't know if you read that like me, but I'm a boy mom now, and it feels a little like, kind of like you're going to like cut me open, huh? And get into all the grossness. And I'm like, all right, I'm a boy mom. I'm here for it. I can do it. So... um, What I need to tell you, if you don't already know this, but welcome, Christlike welcome is brave work. And I'm hoping that in our reflection time today, you're not thinking of the welcome of just being able to invite your neighbor over for a meal, which you might be thinking about. That might be a brave thing that you need to do, and that's well and good. But I want us to keep in mind the radical welcome of Christ towards us. That's the overlay on our hearts. That's the context today for us. So mistake, have no mistake about what we're talking about today. We're talking about the rescue, the welcome, the rescue of Christ towards us. And not only did it save you his welcome, it offered you something. Christ's welcome offered you something. It offered you belonging and it offered you acceptance despite all your stuff. Like fill in the blank, whatever it was that you had going on, God was like, come anyway. I want you. You are in need. You're vulnerable. I want you. Come. So, what does scripture have to say about how we are to welcome others? What does Christ like welcome look like? And this is going to be the context Romans. Go ahead. You had it, Janelle. Therefore, can we read this together? Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. And as we have that overlay, of our personal Christ-like welcome story. That's just your personal story. So you might have your own little filter there. What we're going to do is we're going to dive into a lot of scripture today. Might be a little awkward because I'm trying to do this, but I do have some tabs this morning, so I'm feeling a little bit confident. So on your worksheet, you have nine ways that I've said that we're going to identify Christ-like welcome. You know what? Last night, I was kind of like reading through everything, and I was like, I got to add another one. Nine seems like a lot, but I have to add another one. So you're going to have ten And this is not an exhaustive list of the ways that Christ shows welcome, but the one I added in, I like especially, and I think you are too. So we're going to have 10 ways. So let's start, um, well, first of all, I have to tell you, there's good news and there's bad news. The good news is, is that we're going to talk through all the ways that Christ welcomes us and welcomes other people and what that looks like. And then we're going to have to learn about what it looks like when we are unwilling to show Christ-like welcome to others. We're going to keep that part brief, but it's real. So let's start with the good stuff. Okay, first um, thing. One way that Christ shows us welcome is by meeting our physical needs. Let's go back to Romans just so we don't spoil it for all the way down. So if you have your Bible, we're going to go to Matthew 28, 11. He meets our physical needs, shows us welcome by meeting our physical needs. When we are tired. Anyone show up tired today? (sighs) Great, I'm not alone. Matthew 28. Um, Eleven twenty-eight it says, come to me, all who labor and who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn, lean, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We're going to flip over to Mark 6, uh, 630 then. He meets our physical needs by feeding us. Okay, Mark six thirty says, the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. Anyone feel like they don't even have time to eat during the day or go to the bathroom or take a shower or any of those things? I feel their pain. And uh, they went away on a boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them coming and going and recognized them, and they ran on foot all in the towns and got ahead of them. And when they went to shore, they saw a great crowd, and Jesus had compassion on them, because they were sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach many things, and it grew late, and his disciples said to him, this is late, this is desolate, there's nothing around here. Send them away. And send them to surrounding villages. Have other people and other things take care of them. Because we don't have anything to give them to eat. And it's so interesting. Jesus said to them, he said, you give them something to eat. they're like looking around like, if you haven't noticed, we don't have anything. You just said right here, it's a desolate place. And they said, well, what are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to go and spend all of our money and go buy bread for all these people? And I'm sure I can just see Jesus rolling his eyes like, fine, whatever. He said, what do you have? Tell me what you have. And they found out that they had five loaves and two fish. And then we all know the end of the story, right? God breaks the bread and everyone is full. And there's 12 baskets full of extra food. They had nothing. They're sitting around looking at nothing and they're freaking out about what they're going to eat. And God says, everybody is welcome. I'm going to supply what we need. Give me what you have. I'm going to multiply it." Another way he meets our physical needs, you know, in John 21, 4 through 13, he has breakfast with his disciples after his return. It's so interesting when he approaches his disciples after a long day of fishing, he's calling from the shore and he's like, have you caught anything? They're like, no, we feel like we're exhausted and tired already. We already have all these other things we're doing. And he says, throw it over here on this side of the boat and you get a bunch of fish, right? And they come ashore and what does he do? The last time he had seen his disciples, they all scattered right? They weren't great buddies. And yet he decides to meet their physical need by making them breakfast. He doesn't meet their spiritual need first and say, hey, let's make sure we get all right together relationally. He says, I'm going to meet your physical need. You've been working all day. You're exhausted. You're tired. You're vulnerable. I'm going to feed you. And then in need of healing, Luke nine 11. Let's go to Luke 9 real quick. Luke 9, 11, when the crowds leaned in, they followed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Hmm. And we know through all of the New Testament that God is physically healing people over and over, over again. It's one of the things that impressed people about Jesus was his welcoming of all their ails. Um, I want to go back just real quick to that John uh, or to the feeding in Mark. And do you ever get worried about welcoming other people? Do you ever get worried? Like, I'm not sure I have the right house. I'm not sure I have the right plates. I'm not sure I have the right meal. I'm not a good cook. I'm not sure my house is decorated correctly. I'm not sure if we have it in the budget to host a meal. And yet Jesus says, you feed them. I'm not asking you to have it all together. I'm not even asking you really to have anything. I'm just asking you to invite. I'm asking you to just take compassion and care on people and then give me what you have. Take inventory of what you do have and then I'm going to multiply it, not you. So number two, meeting our spiritual needs. Christ like welcome. He shows us welcome by meeting our spiritual needs in John 4. Let's go to John 4. 13, John four thirteen said, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. He's talking to the woman at the well at this point right now. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty or have to come here again. Another way he meets our spiritual needs. We just read this, um, In Matthew, he gives us rest. He says, come to me, I'll give you rest. Number three, he shows up in public places and spaces. He shows up in public for us. I want to read Zacchaeus because, I mean, when's the last time you read Zacchaeus? Unless it was like, you know, in your kid's storybook before bed, right? So Luke 19, 1 through 10. Let's read Zacchaeus together. He entered Jericho and was passing through and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. So if you remember, the Jews were under Roman rule right now, and Zacchaeus is making money on his people. He is exploiting them, he's overtaxing them, and he's getting a huge house on the mountain, and everybody else is starving. So he's a chief tax collector, and he was rich, and he was seeking to see Jesus... But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed on a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And then Jesus came to the place. He looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And what did the crowd do when Jesus welcomed Zacchaeus? They grumbled. He has gone in to be a guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone, I will give them fourfold. So God's welcome changed the heart of a man, right? But just keep that in mind, like pin that right there when you show welcome. What other people might what other people might say? Okay, so then of course there's the women and the Pharisees, John eight two through eleven. God showing up in public places to show people welcome, John eight. Mark, Luke, John 8. told you it might look awkward when I'm doing this. Okay, so early in the morning, they came to the temple again, and all the people came to him and sat down, and he taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst. And they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law of Moses, aren't we commanded to stone such a woman? What do you say? So out in public... In church, they're just bringing this woman, just throwing her out of Jesus' feet, and they're like, "Hey, she's worthless, and we get to beat her up." What do you think about that? And what does Jesus do? And once more, he bent down on the ground after he had told them all away. Right? Without sin among you, be the first to cast the stone. And once more, he began down. As everyone had left, and Jesus left alone the woman standing before him, he said, go up and sin no more, I don't condemn you. So he shows up in public places, his welcome does. Another way um, Christ shows us welcome is by giving us his presence. This is number four, his presence. Mark six forty-five. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the disciples were out on the boat. And, the, make, and the, wind, the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he then came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. But when, he, when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw them and were terrified. But he immediately spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And then he got in the boat with them. It's interesting because God was going to pass by them at first. And then he saw that they were afraid. He's like, all right, I'll get in. You know, it's like, you're, okay, fine. I'm going to give you my presence. I see that you're afraid. I see that you're vulnerable. All right, I'll get in the boat. I'm just going to go on a stroll in the storm, but I'm just going to go hang out with you in your boat instead. So he walks on the water to the disciples. And we have all these Old Testament verses in Genesis and Exodus about God saying that he goes with his people, places. I will be with you. I will go with you. In Genesis 28, it says, I am with you and I will keep you. Number five, Christ shows us welcome by pursuing us in the midst of our sin. You ever notice in the story of Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus isn't repenting from the sycamore tree. I mean, he's outright exploited his people, and he's probably the most hated man in that town, right? He has taken advantage of everybody, and he's built a big kingdom unto himself in that city. And yet God invites him, and everybody grumbles about it, right? Right? And he's still very much in his sin. He hasn't given anybody tenfold back, fourfold back. Jesus is like, all right, doesn't matter. I'm going to your house. Same with Jonah. Like when you read the story of Jonah, have you ever read like Jonah is in the belly of the whale and he's not even asking for forgiveness for his rebellion. That's not why he gets spit out. Number one, we see that God's welcome towards Jonah in pursuing him provides him safety The fish swallows Jonah so he doesn't drown. Number two, he gives time for Jonah to process. Like when you read through that, I was reading through it this morning. It's way too long to read here. But he's giving him time to process. And he never repents. And he still doesn't know how he feels about what God is asking him to do. So when you read it, he's like, oh, this is terrible. Oh, Lord, see me. Please don't forget about me. And he's not saying, Lord, forgive me. I should go and talk to those people. I should save those people. I should welcome those people. No, he's just sitting in there processing. Like we all do, right? And then the third way is that he welcomes Jonah back into his calling. So Jonah doesn't even know how he feels about his calling or what God has for him. But God gives them safety. He gives them time to process. And then he enters back in even when he doesn't ask for forgiveness and says, I still have a plan for you. I still have a plan for these people. And I'm still going to use you, which I think is extraordinary. So number five, pursuing us in the midst of our sin. And I'm sure there's, as I'm reading through these, there's going to be umpteen stories that you think about that are in the Bible that you're like, oh, why didn't you say that one? It's because I got a long list here. So this is not an extensive list. Number six, Christ shows us welcome by giving us peace. Have any of you felt the peace of God? John 14, 27. Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Number seven, by calming our fears. Christ shows us welcome by calming our fears. Our fears. We already read in Mark 6:30 about there was a scarcity of resources and the disciples were freaking out. I mean, have you ever seen or been a part of a church? New life is great at this, not in the bad way, in the positive way. But have you ever been at a church or with a group of Christians and then people are like, ah, our resources are kind of scarce. We got to kind of like prioritize over here and we've got it. And you're just like, what? There's a need over there. You know, have you ever been with a group of Christians and you're like, oh, this person's really needing something? They're like, yeah, I'm just not really sure what to do about that. And yet, you know that person is in fear and you know that person's vulnerable. Jesus welcomes us by calming our fears, by entering in. He's not afraid afraid of what resources we have or we don't have. In Matthew 8, right, the storm is going on and he calms the storm. So he's actually taking a nap during this passage and he's a little bit like, what are you freaking out about? Like, I'm actually in your presence already, which I think is something that we forget, that we have Jesus in our presence all the time. And yet they're afraid because the storm is going on. And he's like, hey, I'm just taking a nap over here and you're bothering me. So I'm just going to get rid of the storm really quick so y'all can get on with the day. But that's what he does. He calms our fears. Number eight, Christ shows us welcome by showing us mercy. Have any of you felt the mercy of God? get real emotional about that one 9:36 let's read that it says where am i Matthew 9:36 when he saw the crowds he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd then he said to his disciples the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. The next reference, Mark five, eighteen. This is the man that's living in the tombs. Remember this guy? He's legitimately alone. He's a legitimate, he has a legitimate mental illness, he's possessed in some way. And it says, and he was getting to the boat, and the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. There's desperation even among what others might think is really unhelp- unhelpable, if that's a word, and crazy. Like even though you might think a situation is really helpless, that's the word I'm looking for, Jesus is like, it's not impossible for me. But there's a desperation there, right? Even from the helpless. And he he did not permit him. He said, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. Because remember, he drove out the demons and they went into the pigs. He said, but I have had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Love that God got the glory out of that. And we got to see that, right? And everyone marveled out of that. But he showed mercy towards him. This man had been walking around alone. He's been in tombs. He'd been scraping himself with rocks. And he was an outcast. And Jesus had mercy on him. Okay, so number nine. I'm going to change this up a little bit. This is the one I added in. And this is number nine. is by advocating for us when others would rather criticize. God's welcome towards us looks like him advocating for us when others would criticize. In John 12, 1 through 8. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those just reclining at the table, Some, the man that was just dead, that Jesus raised from the dead. Mary was therefore took a pound of expensive ointment and made from Purinar and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. But Judas, of course it's Judas, right? He gets all bent out of shape about it. And he says... Why was this ointment not sold for 300 more denarii and given to the poor? Trying to sound super self-righteous, you know, like, well, I'm doing a need over here. I don't really need to pay attention to this need over here. That's what I'm thinking in my mind. He says, leave her alone. I love that. Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For you will always have the poor with me, but you don't always have me. And then we also see, we read this already, John 8, women, or Jesus advocating for the woman in front of the Pharisees. So in front of all the elders and all the upright, important people of the church, Jesus advocates for this woman when all these upright people would rather criticize her, her past, her situation. And then, of course, there's the thief on the cross. This is Luke 23, 39. One of the criminals who had hanged railed on him said, "'Are you not the Christ? Save yourself.'" But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, we were given dealt with justly due to our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And Jesus said, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said, Jesus, remember me when I come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. So you've got one guy who's being incredibly critical, even just mocking Towards Jesus showing compassion to someone who really justly was deserved to be punished. And what does Jesus do? He he actually saves him. And then again, back in Zacchaeus, remember he advocates for Zacchaeus. We say in the in the in the scriptures, it talks about people grumbling because Jesus showed someone compassion. Well, I can see why, right? They all feel slighted by Zacchaeus. And yet Jesus was like, I'm still gonna welcome you, right? So then the last one, number 10, by dying to himself. Christ shows us welcome by dying to himself. Janelle, you can put up that list if you would. Thanks. Matthew 26, 39, in the prayer in Gethsemane. That is worth reading. Matthew 26, 39. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass for me. Nevertheless, not as my will, but as yours. Has it ever felt like having to die to yourself to really show someone love? Have you ever had to really just swallow something you didn't want to swallow? And yet Jesus says, you swallow that pill, mama, because I gave my life. I gave it all. And the theme here is that Jesus denies his own comfort to meet us where we are. He denies his own comfort. He denies his very life to welcome us into relationship with him. He sees us. His welcome is not accidental. He's intentionally looking for us. He's not turning away from our circumstances or leaving us behind because of our choices. He is constantly finding ways intentionally finding ways to enter into our messy and hard spaces, places where we are in such need. And he asks us to do the same thing. So here's the bad news, okay? You know, if we're unwilling to have this kind of, develop this kind of Christ-like welcome in us, there's three things that I have found. This is also not an exhaustive list, but there's three things. And you can go to that one. Yep. In Obadiah, we read that a nation is humbled. The name Obadiah actually in Hebrew means servant of the Lord. What a missed calling. And yet the nation of Edom was a servant to no one but themselves. Their priority and lifestyle were only for their own flourishing. Go ahead. You read it. It's just one chapter. It doesn't even have the number one in it because it's just one chapter. God fiercely rebukes them for this pride of caring about their own flourishing. He does this in verse three. And then for the refusal to see and serve others less fortunate. And he says in verse 12, for the day of the Lord is near upon all nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. I don't know about you, but that makes me a little nervous about the US right now but it's legit, right? He will humble a nation. In Deuteronomy 23, we see that people can be cursed. The Amorites and the Moabites are permitted from entering the assembly of God, which really means back then that they were permitted from participating in formal or political leadership in the nation of Israel. Um, and they were cursed. The Moabites were cursed because they actually refused to take care of and show hospitality Um, from the Jews that were traveling out of Egypt. I mean, the Hebrews. The Hebrews were traveling out of Egypt, and the Moabites and the Amorites almost taunted them and mocked them for coming out. They didn't take care of them. They They were sojourning through their land, and they didn't take care of them, and God cursed them for it. And it says, Cursed be anyone who perverts the justice due to the sojourner, the fatherless and the widow. Number three, in Matthew, we read that we have eternal separation. God does this as well. Um, Let's read this. Matthew 25, 41 through 46. 41 through 46. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and the angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me naked, and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Notice he didn't say prison, and then he like gave a list of like caveats. Like when you're in prison, not all the time, but most of the time, you've done something wrong. And yet Jesus says those people, you all have forgotten about them. You didn't go visit them. You didn't show them mercy or compassion. then he will say, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick in person? And we did not minister to you. And he said to them, truly, I say to you, as you did not do to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And those will go away into eternal punishment. But the righteous into eternal life. Pretty scary, right? I'm going to go with the... So now that we've gone through what Christlike welcome looks like and some of the signs if we choose not to show this kind of welcome, who are we to show Christlike welcome to? This might be a little bit obvious, but let's turn to Luke 10. Let's turn to Luke 10. There we go. 25 through 37. 37 and it says and behold a lawyer stood up to put him to the test teacher what shall i do to inherit life and he said to him what's written in the law how do you read it and he said you shall love the god lord your god with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and with all your mind and do as to your neighbor as unto yourself and you have answered me correctly do this and you will live but he desiring to justify himself to jesus said and who is my neighbor Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. He's just kind of like, oop, there's something over there. I'm going to just go to the other side of the road and completely avoid it. Likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, "'As he journeyed by, came to where he was, "'and he saw him, and he had compassion. "'And he went to him and bound up his wounds, "'pouring on oil and wine. "'Then he set on him his own animal "'and brought him to an inn and took care of him. "'And the next day he took out two denarii "'and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, "'Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, "'I will repay you, and I will come back. "'Which of the three do you think proved to be a neighbor "'to a man who fell among the robbers?' "'And they said, "'The one who showed him mercy.' "'And he said, "'Go and do likewise.' Let's go to Matthew twenty-five. We're going to read thirty-one through forty now. Thirty-one says, "When the son of man got when the son of man comes in all his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered." all all the nations, and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates sheep from goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on the right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him saying, but Lord, Again, when did we see you hungry and you needed to be fed and you needed drink? And when did we see you as a stranger and we did not welcome you or clothe you? And where you were sick and in prison? And the king said, truly, I say to you, as you did to the least of these, you did unto me. <clears throat> so Jesus tells us our neighbor is anyone who is around us. Uh, we are to love God and we are to love others. And FYI, we are all in the others category. Everyone. Every human being, no matter location, status, ethnicity, everybody is made in the image of God and is to be loved as a neighbor. And when we look around our world today, Christ like welcome is needed more than ever. And this is where the work of welcome makes you get brave. Because Jesus asks us to demonstrate welcome in some really complicated spaces. Places that seem too political, too messy, and too frightening. Places that may break your heart, and they're surely going to dismantle your sensibilities. I promise you. But his mandate for us as the people of God is to show welcome. Welcome. I'll tell you, I, I said that this word welcome has been changing my life over this last year, and it's true. Um, God has taken me on quite the journey about welcome, specifically towards immigrants and refugees. Nearly two years ago, I got involved with a movement started by World Relief called Welcome. And Welcome is an online community of Christian women who desire to change the world through Christ like welcome towards the sojourner. And, um, I'll tell you, this last year's been a little difficult. The last three years have been a little difficult to have compassion and want to show welcome to that population. Um, It's been really uncomfortable, to be honest. It's been hard. When you listen and when you lean in and when you start to learn things, it gets really icky really fast. And yet, God says, go there because I'm actually already there. That mess you see over there, that vulnerable population you see over there, I'm already there. I'm just waiting for the, my bride to show up. And I will get the glory. Thank God, because that means nobody else gets it. Doesn't that like relieve the pressure from you? Like you don't have to show up and it's not about you because how disappointing is it when you show up and God, someone is looking for Jesus and all they see is you. How disappointing is that? Because what do we really have to offer other than Jesus? So I, in this last two years, have been intentionally choosing to take brave steps toward this particular vulnerable population. And actually, my background is in really the traditional pro-life movement. And I had worked for years in the abortion and the adoption space, traveling around the country trying to recruit adoptive families for kids who are trapped in foster care. Or putting um, ultrasounds in high-risk abortion communities. So I just would travel the country doing that. And then we had this idea that we really needed to expand what our really kind of what our pro-life narrative was, and make it more comprehensive, make it more holistically biblical in the fact that Jesus wants to show welcome to everybody across the spectrum, that being pro-life is about welcoming the pre-born child, no matter the circumstance, that it's welcoming the foster child into your home, or that orphan across the sea Into your home. It's welcoming that mother who made a a mistake or she was taken advantage of. It's welcoming her. And that welcome is costly. And a lot of people think, okay, I got to weigh the cost before I do the welcome. Jesus never did that. But you know what he did know? He knew that his welcome was going to cost his life. And he still did it. He still did it. I'm talking about welcome that looks like welcoming the returning prisoner. Back into society. I'm talking about welcoming the girl who's been in human trafficking and her life is full of trauma and complication. I'm talking about welcoming an elderly person who we know 80% of elderly people who are living in facilities across the country, 80% never get a visit. If your kids like to make crafts, go take them there. If you've got a stack piling up in your kitchen, which I do, don't throw them in the trash, stick them in an envelope, mail them to the nearest or take them to the nearest one. And show some welcome, show some love. So, um, when it comes to the immigrant and refugee situation, which I've been wallowing in for a while, over the last year I've gone across the border twice to meet with migrant families, talk with Border Patrol agents, meet with government officials, understand what immigration court looks like, and it's, I tell you, it's a mess. But these people are made in the image of God. And I need to understand more. I can't turn away. And um, on one of our last trips that we took, I went with a group of women. um, And we took a film crew with us to Oaxaca, Mexico. And what we did is we documented, what are we learning? Because we didn't really know much of anything. I'm telling you, I'm like two years into this, and I'm like just new baby into like knowing what this is. Ten years ago, if you asked me if immigration or immigrants and refugees were like a biblical issue, I'd be like, yeah, but it's kind of political. And then about five years ago, if you would ask me, I'd be like, oh, it's totally a biblical issue. It's a pro-life issue. We got to get involved. And two years ago, it was like devastation. (laughs) holy cow, these vulnerable people don't have anybody advocating for them. Maybe they do, but they're not being listened to. When people want to welcome them, there's immediate criticism and there's fear. And what do we just learn about? Christ-like welcome looks like going past all that stuff, right? So how much time do we have? It's 1046. Okay, so... Do, I, do we do Q&A at 11? Or do we do Q&A at 1050? At OK, so what I'm going to do instead is I'm just going to show you the promo video for this film. So we took the film crew to Oaxaca, Mexico with us. And we just said, all right, we don't know what we're doing. We just want to talk with vulnerable people. We kind of try and want to understand what's going on in the immigration space. And um, then what ended up happening was is we came up with a 40-minute documentary. It's got seven episodes. They're about five minutes each. And we created a companion study guide for it. So the organization I'm with, the movement I'm with is called Welcome. And so we created a small group Bible study to go along with this film. And this is just the promo video for it. So I'll just let you take a look at that real quick. The largest group of migrants ever encountered. 90,000 people waiting to apply for asylum. Crossing illegally. And some of these people are not people you want in our country. I feel the responsibility. I want to see for myself. I want to go and bear witness. We're trying to help the evangelical space to understand the immigration issue. I don't
0: know why everyone's wanting to come into the U.S
1: por diferentes There's a lot to lose by putting yourself on the line for the vulnerable. I'm fearful rejection for going on this trip. You can lose funders, you can lose donations, you can lose friends. We're supposed to be brothers and sisters here.
0: There has to be another way.
1: Oh, Lord, give us wisdom to know how to help. So,
0: this is one way
1: that the Lord has been teaching me to move me across that pro-life human dignity spectrum of challenging me to show welcome where I wasn't entering in before. And I would say that the number one question I am asked when I write something, post something, speak about this topic is... Um, you know that we have a lot of needs here in the US, right? You know that we've got homeless veterans. You know that we've got kids who don't eat. We've got poor public school systems. And the list goes on. As if trying to prioritize vulnerable people and US needs would restore some type of moral grounding for us. And yet, what I would say is when I read the Bible, I can't scripturally justify prioritizing one vulnerable population over another. I think we're supposed to act as the body of Christ, and you're an arm, and I'm a nose, and you're a leg, and that's great because that's how the body of Christ works. And if we were all an arm, then... How effective would we be, right? You're supposed to do foster care and your passion over here is for human trafficking. Oh, and and you go into prisons, that doesn't scare you at all? Okay, fantastic, tell me about that. Do what you do. And, And all over the place, right? So that your giftings and your passions and the way the Lord has given you experiences and equipped you means that you're supposed to operate in that way. And my job as a different part of the body of Christ is to listen, to learn, and encourage you. It's not to criticize you. It's not to tell you that your vulnerable population is less important than mine. Because if that vulnerable population is full of people, which it is because it's a population, those people are made in the image of God. And he cares about them. And he doesn't give priority to who he cares about more. I will say in the New Testament, there are vastly more verses about widows, orphans, and sojourners, people traveling from different lands than any other Vulnerable population highlights it. The Old Testament's pretty huge in this thing. So, what I would just encourage you with is my issue doesn't have to be your issue. My passion doesn't have to be your passion. And thank God because your gifting is supposed to be different than mine so that we can be an effective bride of Christ. And you might be in a season, I'm in a season too, of little people and long nights. And a lot of Mary Poppins and a lot of other shows, I, you know, Mary Poppins is actually fine, right? I can deal with that. But like Stinky and Dirty and all of these other shows that are mindless, I'm in the thick of it too. And what I would say is you definitely go in seasons in your life where you have margin for things. And there are other seasons where you have less margin for things. And that's okay. So we have to give ourselves grace in that. But I think as the body of Christ, we also have to give each other grace for where others are entering in and encourage that. Because if, if another woman next to you is trying to show welcome and she's not exactly sure how to do it, cheer her on. Cheer her on. So I think if anyone has any questions, I think I'm good, Holly. Does anyone have any questions about Christ-like welcome? Do you have any questions about welcome... welcome community or the movement that I'm a part of or about immigrants and refugees or about the pro-life spectrum yeah
0: do you talk with your little ones about your work and what you're doing and what you're doing in Mexico and if you do like what what do you tell them and then what do you kind of leave out
1: yeah, it's good. Um, I'm sure you've all heard this, just like age-appropriate content is really vital. <laughs> so um, in the actual film, you will see um, them follow us through at our home life, which looks grossly privileged when we go over across the border. And uh, my daughter, my, my husband actually asked my daughter, you know mom's going to Mexico, right? And she's like, yeah, but I'm not exactly sure why. Why? And I said, well, we're going to meet with some people who are traveling, some immigrants who are traveling who are homeless. And she said, well, if they're traveling, how do you know where to find them? I'm like, oh, here come all the questions. I'm like, well, we're going to go to some shelters. you know." So what I try to do, I do talk with this about, my, With my, I have a 7-year-old daughter. She's very inquisitive. Nothing gets by her. And so I always try and frame the question back to her as well. So if she says, Mom, what's going on with... You know, immigrants, refugees, why don't they have homes? Why are they coming to our country? Why can't they just stay in theirs? I'll just say, well, what, what's your life like? She'll say, I have a home. I've got friends. I go to school. I'm like, do you feel safe? She's like, yeah, I feel really safe. I'm like, great. Do you feel loved? Do you feel? Have you ever gone without a meal? I try and, con- like, I try and th- help her think about her own context. And then I try and match that up against maybe somebody else's world. Just say, well, you know what? A lot of these people that are coming, um, people don't know who they are, and so they're afraid of them. People have not met them, so they're, they're very nervous about what kind of culture they're bringing, what kind of families they might be a part of. So I try and talk on her level, trying to compare her privilege to maybe what somebody else is like, life is like with a lack of privilege. Does that help? Okay. other thing, too, I will just say real quickly is when you start to show up and welcome other people, it means you have to get close to people and things that you may not have gotten close to before. And the closer your proximity to people's pain and the closer proximity to people's plights will change your life. It will help you read scripture differently. It will help you see people differently. And uh, I read this quote from Shane Claiborne one time, and it said, Shane Claiborne is a writer, speaker, author. And he said, I'm, I'm convinced that it's not that Christians don't care about the poor. It's that Christians don't know the poor. And I thought, oof, if that isn't true. Yeah. Um, do we have time? Could you tell us um,
0: maybe one story from your time uh, in Mexico? Sure. Hmm.
1: If I get emotional, um, just forgive me, but I am a woman, so <laughs> just happens. Um, on one of our trips, and you'll see it in the film, the film is free to view, um, and the Bible study that goes along with it is also free, so it's a seven-week Bible study that you can do. You, you, each episode is about five minutes long, and then you've got a Bible study lesson to kind of walk through with that. Um, but in one of the episodes, we go to a shelter where there are unaccompanied children and minors who have either been separated from parents or lost their parents or had been um, sent on the journey by themselves because, uh, as a last resort. And when I went to this shelter, the cameras weren't allowed in there because of the age of the children. But I met an 11-year-old mother with an eight-day-old baby. She was rooming with a fourteen-year-old mother, who had an eight-month-old baby, and um, no child chooses that. No child chooses that. What had happened was is that violence was done against her father. He was murdered in their home, and they raped her mother and her. Her mother fled. And she ended up in the shelter because she was pregnant. And her mom didn't feel like she could continue on the journey to find safety with a pregnant daughter. Because what were to happen if that daughter were to deliver on the journey? I've learned that this journey from Central America, which is where the vast majority of people are coming from, 80 to 90% of the women on that journey are sexually assaulted. And so this mother has this pregnant 11-year-old. No health care, no way to feed her. They're traveling in caravans and groups for safety because they, that's the way that they feel safety is if they're traveling in big groups. That's another thing I learned. It was like caravans. Well, that's intimidating. They're invading our border. I'm very nervous about that. And yet when you go down there and you learn from them, they, they say, we travel in big groups because we're afraid. And it's we find safety in big groups. And so I, so I met these two mothers, and they'll be in that shelter. Thank God that the government will allow them to stay till they're 18, and they'll be able to take care of their babies, uh, health care, food, and for them. And you know, it was interesting. When I was in the shelter, I'm thinking to myself, from my American white privilege worldview, how could a mother leave her 11-year-old in a shelter? Like, where is her mother? And I was just feeling, not self-righteous, but I was feeling a little like ticked off like she's 11 she just has an eight-day-old baby where's her mother and then as we traveled around the country learning about the violence towards women and how dangerous the trek is and how there isn't shelters for families to stay at for more than three days you start to learn that this was the best option that that mom could have given her daughter Um, my own mother said to me one time well what kind of parents are these people if they're bringing their kids to the border and they know they're going to get separated, or they know that they're going to be assaulted along the trip, what kind of parents are these people? And um, I just said, "You know what I've learned is that's the better option than where they are now. Just think if that was you had to face that or what you were facing at home, and taking that chance was your better option. So that's something I had to just reconcile in my mind was, it's not like what we're dealing with here. Because of course, no woman would leave her child, especially in that state. But that was the better option. So her mother was actually, let her stay at the shelter, signed off on it, and then she hoped to make it by herself to the U.S. where she had family, and then send for her. But at that time, we had kind of really closed the border to a lot of asylum seekers, so... um, We're not sure if she actually got through. So
0: so what you're offering is basically like a Bible study-ish sort of curriculum that can kind of introduce people to stories like this and start to understand um, what's really going on.
1: Yeah. So the organization I'm with, Welcome is a movement of Christian women who desire to see more Christ-like welcome in our country, specifically towards the sojourner. And this is kind of where our community resides. We started on Facebook. Our community across all of our platforms is about 100,000 women. We just recently got on Instagram because we've just been so busy on Facebook. Um, we've got a public group there, and then we have a private group on Facebook. So if you're like, I want to ask questions, but I don't want to get trolled, and I also don't want people to like attack me for asking really dumb questions, Um, we have a private group full of women that are having these conversations and they're asking questions like, okay, what is a refugee? Um, What are our asylum laws? What is wrong with our immigration system? Why can't people just get in line? How How come people can't just get right with the law? You know, all of these questions that we have... But that usually from our privilege, we've never even thought to ask, right? So we're creating a community that's a safe space to start to understand some of these issues. And in Welcome, we do have several resources. One of them is the latest, our new one, is this film, this documentary that's 40 minutes long that has a companion Bible study that goes with it. That's seven weeks long. And it's a really easy on-ramp to try and really understand more about the immigration conversation. And it's all about people and nothing about politics, which is why... It's so great. It's such an easy on-ramp. So, yeah.
0: Um, What kind of self-care do you do for your work
1: so that you don't go empty (laughs) or traumatized? Self-care. Great question. (laughs) Um, I would say right now my self-care has been my small group. And these ladies have really challenged me to get some therapy. Thank you, Sarah Jackson. Um, I think um, when I've come back a couple of times from what I've seen over there as a mom, it's just incredibly devastating to think how much we've missed it when it comes to these people and how much we're missing it on lots of levels when it comes to vulnerable populations all around the country and around the world. And I think, you know, as Christians, we like to write checks and then we feel really good about ourselves. And yet... But really what people are needing is our presence. They're needing our proximity to their pain. They're needing our proximity. And really, when we're in this life of like, in this season of really busy littles and whatnot, it's like, all I can really do is write a check. And maybe that check's going to be really small. And I'm not dissing that. Because again, there are seasons for that. But on the whole, I really truly believe that it's not that Christians don't care about the poor. It's that Christians don't know them. They're not creating margin to really dig in. And when you do create margin, you're also going to have to create margin for self-care. Because you're going to see some things, you're going to hear some things that are just going to really rock you. And um, when I've come back, I really couldn't talk about any of this without just losing it. And a couple of my friends in my small group were like, have you been to therapy? I'm like, do I need therapy? And they're like, maybe. (laughs) So I take that. And uh, so, yeah. Mm (laughs)
0: Um, What are some common misconceptions that took you by surprise when you went over there for the first time or second time that like we all believe generally?
1: Yeah, I think a couple of things. Um, One, I think um, I was completely unaware of who was coming to the border. And about 10 years ago, um, the, the demographic has changed over the last decade. So about 10 years ago, it was mostly single men in their 20s and 30s from Mexico coming for economic opportunity for jobs. And nowadays, you have about 70%, 70, 80% that are coming from Central America to seek asylum, not cross the border illegally, but to seek asylum um, due to extreme violence in the Northern Triangle. And so you have them coming up from Central America up through Mexico, which is an incredibly dangerous trek. And then they're coming to our border because they have heard that we are the land of the free and that we're welcoming of immigrants and that we have opportunity. And then they get to the border, and the border is essentially closed to them right now. And so that was my biggest presumption. Who's coming? I thought it was just a bunch of men. And it looked like the headline said, you know, they're coming here to take jobs, they're coming here to cross illegally, and um, they're not coming here for good reasons. And yet, those who are coming to the border from Central America, most of them are asylum seeking. And what that means is they're showing up at the border. And I've actually watched this when I've been talking with Border Patrol agents at their facilities in um, Juarez and El Paso. You can see families coming up to where the borderline is, and they're stopping, and they're looking for the cameras. And then they're sitting. They're waiting for Border Patrol to come get them. And they're, what, what they're essentially doing is, is they are submitting themselves to the highest vetting in the world. And they're saying, I don't want to live in the shadows. I'm not going to cross this line because I have to live in the shadows again. I want to be, I want to be in society. I want to have a life that I don't have to fear. So I'm not coming with anything other than myself and that I want a new life. So I want you to find me. I want you to vet me. I want you to see that I have a valid fear of persecution, whatever that may be. And then I, and then I want to try and start a new life over again. So that was another thing, too, is that you just think all these people are crossing illegally. But the other thing is, is that I thought, you know what? Why aren't people just like applying for asylum at a U.S. embassy somewhere? You can't do that. According to international asylum laws, you actually have to be in the country that you're seeking asylum from, or so which means you have to cross a border illegally, technically, but that's actually part of the asylum law, is that you have to be in country, and then you apply for it. Or you have to go to a legal port of entry. So we've got about 27 ports of entry along that uh, southern border line, and what they've started doing is a metering process, which really only takes, I don't know anywhere from 40 to 100 people and when you've got and processing them right now but what's actually happening is you have about 4,000 people trying to get processed a day when you're only taking about 20 to 40 and people have to remain in Mexico while they wait to see if they can apply then you've got all of these kind of like tent areas that are happening all along these really dangerous violent cities border towns in Mexico so you're not seeing a lot of conversation about Immigrants flooding the U.S. right now, and you're seeing numbers of illegal immigration declining. Well, illegal immigration has been declining for the last five years, but asylum cases are up. So you would, so people are like, well, why are they coming now? Hasn't there always been violence? Well, yes, there's been violence, but it's definitely it's been exacerbated. But a lot of U.S. policy that I'm learning and um, lots of other things that are happening, de- corruption, destabilization in communities and whatnot. So... In any case, they're showing up. Asylum cases, you have more people are saying, just vet me so I can come in and find a safe place to find a home. Um, It's not that illegal crossings aren't happening, but that's not something Welcome encourages. So in general, what I would say when people get really political, which I mean, this is something that's in the political conversation, and that's totally fine. Not threatened by that at all. I would say Welcome's position is that we don't encourage illegal immigration at all. We're actually for, for strong borders, whatever those look like. Um, but we're also for compassionate care of those who are made in the image of God. You can have strong borders and you can have compassionate, merciful laws. Those things are not mutually exclusive concepts. So what does Christ-like welcome look like to vulnerable people who are showing up and saying, take all of me, figure out everything that you want, look in every crack and crevice of my life. I just want a new life. So. Did you have a question? Okay. Okay. just give
0: it to me. Then Brie, after this question, can you tell us about the new handout that we just Oh, okay. So you just
1: got a new handout. So the number one question everybody asks is, okay, so when I learn, and this is with any vulnerable population, right? What can I do? What can I do as women? We want to change it. We want to, whatever it is, I want to make it better. What I'll say is in most vulnerable populations, the big issue, there's no silver bullet. You're not gonna show up tomorrow and be like, this is what we're gonna do. What I will say is that you're welcome towards people that are around you. A lot of people say, I don't know if there's really any immigrants in my community. I'm like, well, and this is you know, for us up north, I live up north, it's like, well, you live up north. Looks very similar. Head downtown, head down south, go somewhere that's not in your normal everyday circle. You will meet immigrants, you will, you will meet refugees, But anyways, everyone wants to know what they can do to help. And I will say the number one thing that you can do is we do have power as evangelical Christians. Um, Our elected officials really do care about what we think. So when you call them on a consistent basis and you say, hey, I don't really know what's exactly going on at the border, but I'm not liking the treatment and the policies that are coming out. That's all I know. But I'm an evangelical Christian in zip code 80921. And then you hang up. That does actually a whole lot. We've seen calls to elected officials change the treatment of immigrants and refugees in detention centers. Um, If any of you remember the family separation policy that was happening when immigrants were coming to the border, we were separating them because we thought that would deter people from coming. And actually what that did was ignite fear from people in Central America because they thought the border was closing. And so they just kept coming. And they said, all right, well, again, it's a better option, right? If, the, if it's closing and I have to be separated from my child for a while, it's the US. They're going to treat us well. I mean, they're a better country than us, blah, blah, blah. And then this is what happens. So I would say calls still make a real big difference. But what you can do, you have a local handout, and then you have a welcome handout that's just more kind of general. So hopefully that answers some questions on that. And I will say before that question, Hannah, raise your hand, Hannah. She's like the local immigrant refugee connector of all people. So if you're like, This list is really overwhelming. I'm not exactly sure where I could plug in, but I'm interested. I don't know anything, but I'm interested. Hannah's the one to chat with. So just FYI. Question. Oh, And I'm not totally sure I'm going to phrase this right, but a lot of what I've heard is very, um, it's reacting to people's situations. Is there any proactive, which in my mind that is, Central America, working so that people don't have to leave. From my little understanding, most people don't want to, but are essentially forced to. So is there any organizations that are trying to almost be proactive in working within their local communities and their countries? And I know that that is big policy. I mean, that's probably why we got involved in World War II. All of that, you know, but is there any... Bright light.
0: I in would that say there's scenario. lots of
1: good organizations that are really trying to uplift nationals in their own country. I mean, even just New Life Church, we've looked to sponsor children and really help grow quality school system and education down in the northern triangle. But there are good organizations that are doing that. I will say the current administration has threatened to cut funding of US funds to those countries if they don't prevent people from coming. And so a lot of the good work that US had funded in those countries is now being kind of held you know, at ransom so like hey you prevent your own people from coming um, or you're not going to get money from the US to help with whatever programs that we do over there and so that's not been super effective either because um, they don't operate the same way we do yeah
0: thanks um, a lot of the violence a lot of the problems in Central and South America come from um, the drug cartel, from illegal activities, things that um, are violent because of people being illegal or activities that are not by law here in the U.S. Okay, I'll I'll go by U.S. law, are against them.
1: I would say there's... Um, more to answer that question than I think we have time for today. Okay. But there, is, there are a lot of reasons why people are fleeing. I would say that any time you ask uh, a refugee by definition is someone who is forcibly displaced or leaving their home. And you'll see in this film, if you watch the film, this 40-minute film, it, it they show a story of a gal named Lorena. And Lorena talks about how she had a home, she had dogs, she had... She had a life, and she didn't want to leave it, and yet she, had a, she her husband had a job, and she had a job, and her son was a good kid, and the gangs asked her child to be a part of the gangs, and he said no, and you don't do that, and so they had to flee because there was a, a threat out on his life, and so they left everything they knew to try and travel up and find a new life because they weren't okay with their son being a part of a gang so and they knew that his life would be forever changed and so would theirs so saying no to corruption in those countries is not an option and so it's not that it's everywhere in that country but you have really vulnerable populations in that country that are easily taken advantage of because their government is not the same as ours because their their culture is not the same of our as ours and whatnot so I'm sorry I'm not going to answer that super well, but it's like really lengthy, has a lot of history. But yes, yeah. No one wants to leave their home. I mean, would you want to leave your home tomorrow? Just pack up and leave everything with your kids, strapped on your back. That's what these women are facing. So in any case, I think I've gone over.
0: Can we give a hand to Bree and thank her for being here today?